0: Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Into this new season, the fall. I love it, by the way. I love the fall. It's the introduction of, of football season, so many awesome things. Some of you love like pumpkin spice lattes or whatever. You love it, that, love the fall for that reason. I, I just love the fall um, because I think it's a really great little reset. And this week proves that little reset moment. And as you reset into a different schedule, this is bonus. I'm preaching on this next week, but I'm not going to preach here next week. And so I, I just want to give you a, a quick little, just in the introduction, sermon bonus as you enter into the fall. I don't have slides for this, but I just want you to think about um, what, what I call um, come-and-sit-with-me opportunities, okay? So this fall, be praying and thinking about the come-and-sit-with-me opportunities. When you hear someone say this, I don't go to a church, like, you'll, you cool. All right, that was not planned. I'm going to shut that off so that doesn't happen again. That was weird. That's never happened when I'm preaching, so um, good old Siri just coming in clutch, right? But if you ever hear someone say, I don't have a church, and they don't have Siri on their phone or whatever or their watch, uh, just say, come and sit with me. Like, that's, that's as easy as it is with an invite. If you hear somebody say, uh, things aren't going well, which I think we hear that a lot, to be honest. Like, if you get in conversation with people, and they're, like, just in a really tough season, I can't tell you there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a conversation with somebody, and I hear them say, man, things aren't going well. Uh, just simply invite them to come sit with you. Just come, come to my church. Come sit with me. Uh, If someone says, I'm not not prepared for this next season of life, maybe they're going through grief or they're going through a struggle or whatever it is, I just don't feel prepared for this, man, just simply say, come and sit with me. And my prayer for redemption is that, man, we are looking for opportunities to simply ask people to come and sit with me. And it's the easiest level of invite. I'm here tonight. Um, When I was 17 years old, someone said that to me. Carl Swanson said, come and sit with me. And tonight I'm speaking on legacy as we wrap up this this series on the Apostle Paul. And I'm telling you, the legacy that Carl Swanson has, he's a middle school teacher in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, I would not want his job. But man, Carl is not a professional pastor. Carl wasn't even a professional Christian at 17 whenever he invited me that that afternoon as we were running the warm-up lap around track. I'm not even sure why I was in track. Like, to be real with you, I'm a horrible runner. We'll talk about that later in my sermon. But... uh, I just want to encourage you, this fall, as you do a little reset, what would it look like for you to invite a friend to church and just say, come and sit with me? It's that simple. And what I find interesting, Corey and I were in Chicago this week at a pastor's uh, learning lab thing. Uh, We'll call it that, right? We learned some stuff, and it was really good. And this guy, way smarter than us, talked. And, um, you know, he made the the interesting um, point that 20% of people, I don't know where they get this number, but 20% of people that are invited to church will say yes. And I know that's kind of like, well, that's only 20%, right? But look, think of it like this though. That's 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 pretty decent odds. Like if you're playing baseball and you hit the ball 20% of the time, you get paid millions of dollars, you know? And so, which by the way, Paul Goldschmidt, how about that? That's just crazy. The Cardinals have me staying up late at night on a Saturday night watching games now. Like, I, I don't know, it's, it's bad. i I'm, I'm not even looking forward to football season all that much because the Cardinals are playing so well. I had a nitro brew coffee on the way here. So if things start slurring together and I start sweating, that may be the whole thing. So you're like, man, what is he on tonight? Did he not take the medicine? I didn't take the medicine because I don't have any. But, uh, but yeah, grace and grit. Let's talk about this for a second. What will your legacy be? I uh, just want to kind of open up with that question. What will your legacy be? I think my biggest concern uh, for Christians today is that we will get to the end of our life realizing that at the end that we that we were climbing the ladder of success only to realize that we were climbing the wrong ladder that the building that our ladder that was leaning up against was the wrong building we're climbing the wrong ladder and we don't realize it until we get to the end so tonight is just a little reset fresh reminder to go man what in the world am I living my life for am i living it for me am i living it for comfort for pleasure And none of these things are awful things, right? But like at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul speaks specifically to what your legacy should be. And we're going to draw that out tonight. Uh, But when I was, I mentioned earlier, I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, I was invited by a guy named Carl Swanson to church. And uh, it it was a charismatic church. And so there was kind of some different things taught there. I I had a little bit of a Baptist background. I went to a Baptist VBS whenever I was a kid, vacation Bible school. Uh, My grandmother uh, took me to church occasionally, and I went to, went to her church, and that's where I initially received Christ when I was 10, but I was bullied at, uh, at church as much as I was bullied at school, and so I just kind of didn't like Christians. Like, I'm like, ah, this is the way Christians are, I'm out, you know? And so I, I spent from really like uh, 12 to like 16 never going to church. Not interested in God, wasn't just, I wanted nothing to do with it. But then I started going to this youth group, and it was great, and had a lot of fun, and um, I made some great friends there, and they really kind of like reestablished, in my life, what a Christian was. Because I was like, man, uh, I didn't know Christians could care about people like this. I mean, they were really kind to me. They kind of adopted me. It was a great thing. But one night, we did youth group on Wednesday night, and one night my youth pastor said we were doing an off-site, but he wouldn't tell us where we were going. Just we knew we were going off-site. That's all we knew. And so we pull, I, I pull up with some friends, and there's some church vans, and we get in the vans, and we still don't know. We're thinking we're like, like, going to go eat pizza somewhere, like CeCe's Pizza or something. Remember CeCe's Pizza? No, just me? It was, it's disgusting. Is it still a thing? Has somebody ate at CC's like recently? No one's willing to admit it. It's like, it's like admitting you ate at McDonald's. You know, like, oh, never. You know, somebody's lying about McDonald's, though. I'm telling you, there's billions of hamburgers being sold. Someone's eating there. That's the way I feel about the Taco Bell breakfast. I saw a commercial for Taco Bell breakfast, and I'm like, who is eating at Taco Bell for breakfast? You know, like, and they have some cold brew. Anyways, it's a different thing. So we show up to youth group that night, right? And we get in these vans, we have no idea where we're going. Like this is unheard of. Like I think about student ministry a day. There's no way you would just trust your student pastor or whatever. Like we have a student pastor at our church. We wouldn't trust them just to take our kids somewhere. We need to know where, where are they going, what are they doing. So we're thinking we're going to go some fun thing, and we show up to a cemetery. I'm like, what? So the offsite is we're gonna walk around this cemetery and look at headstones. That's legit what we did did. And then we hung out under a gazebo while he did a devotion, and he pointed out three things. I'll never forget this. Like, my youth pastor, Rick, he was a full-time UPS worker and a part-time, like, he was probably stipend, maybe, I mean, I envision it as a couple hundred, maybe a hundred bucks a week or something to be a youth pastor at this church. is a really tiny church. Uh, but Rick made a profound impact in my life, and this is the one talk in three years that I can remember Rick ever giving. Uh, but he said this about every headstone. I think this is super interesting. Every, every headstone has a date of birth, a date of death, and a dash in between, and the dash in between is what we are living in right now. Like, you're breathing, and you've got a pulse, and you got this date of birth, and we, all, we celebrate that culturally, which is great, and there's this mystery of when the, thing, the whole thing ends, but we know this. The whole thing does end at some point. Like, the, the death rate is hovering around 100%. Are you with me? Like, we're all going. I mean, I hate to say that on a Sunday night, right? Like, oh, great, we're all dying. That's fantastic news. But we are. Like, I mean, I saw you today, you know, and you, you wandered in here, and you, and you looked older than you looked four weeks ago when I was here, you know, and I, that, and I do too, right? Uh, like, geez, this guy, right? So, but, but what I'm saying is, is this. This dash in between is really critical because this is, we have a ton of choices to make in this dash about what our legacy will be. There's a lot of things I can't control. But the one thing I can control is what I will live for. And there's a lot of things out there that are di- like vying for your attention. I mean, the American dream is out there. right? Your legacy could be, I'm gonna build something great for my family. Your legacy could be, I'm gonna build a ton of wealth. That could be your legacy. But what I'm telling you is at the end of all that, there's never enough. That could be your legacy, though. Your legacy could be, uh, that, that you built a really big 401k or that you took really awesome vacations. Like, man, I, I took an awesome vacation this summer with my family. Went to Yosemite, Sequoia. Uh, we, went, we did a lot of fun stuff. Then we went to LA and that was ugly and dirty and gross and <laughs> wish I didn't go, you know, but it was, we had a great time with our family though, you know. Like, like for me, I know I only have a, a handful of years left with my kids to make awesome memories and man, we're gonna, we're gonna take awesome summer vacations. But more than any of that stuff, like I wanna leave a legacy with my kids, that they know that their dad loved them, that that I enjoyed spending time with them, that their mom and dad loved each other, right, and that we loved them. Like, those are all things that I want my kids to know. But more importantly than anything is I want to pass on this legacy of faith to my kids. And not only my kids, but but other people's kids and other other adults and people older and younger than me. And we, just so you know, that's not just a pastoral responsibility. That's, That's a responsibility for everyone. So Jesus gives us some marching orders about our legacy. And I know we're talking about the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul was simply following the words of Jesus with his own legacy. But in Matthew chapter 28, this is a really familiar passage of scripture. Jesus gives us what's called the Great Commission. He says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're familiar with this? Teach these new commands to the disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the instructions here? The instructions here is to go. In fact, this is translated from the Greek as you go. So, like, we're all going somewhere. Like, tonight you'll get in your car and you'll go home, or you'll go out to eat and then you'll go home. And then tomorrow you'll get in your car and you'll go somewhere. And so, what Jesus is saying, like, a little backdrop on what has happened in Jesus' life up to this point. He's born, this is up into Matthew chapter 28. He's had this miraculous birth, right? Because his mom was a virgin. And then uh, he lives this perfect life and, you know, he starts off making some tables and shelves and stuff like that as a carpenter and then lives this absolutely perfect life, never sinned. He water skis without a boat, walks on water, right? He feeds 5,000 people with a happy meal. Like he's doing all these miraculous things, all these amazing teach- teachings and, st- and things like that. And then he goes to the cross for our sins, which happens to be a pretty significant moment because now uh, things are right between us and this holy God. And then he resurrects from a grave three days later. And that's when he gives the instructions in Matthew chapter 28. And he's telling his disciples, he's got everybody's attention because he, he was dead a few days ago, and now he's alive. And so you're, you're kind of listening to what he has to say, now he's gonna ascend to heaven. So the, I mean, if you're in the crowd that day, you're pretty gripped on his words. And he gives them this specific thing. I want you to, as you go, go tell people about me. That's the legacy that I want you to live. That's what I want you to do with your life. That this dash in between. Your start date and your end date. What, what should I be doing? The answer is you should be making disciples. And that's not a professional Christian job like me. Like, I, do, I got the best gig ever. I mean, Albert Pohlholz has a pretty good gig. I don't, I don't want to argue with it, you know. Like, I mean, dude just gets to swing a bat and hit a ball and, you know, make lots of money. And I don't make Albert Pohlholz money, but I'm not complaining about it, you know. Like, I, I, I make more than I deserve. And I'm, I mean, I'm able to afford the jet fuel and all that, you know. I like that you're laughing, though, tonight. That's nice. I don't have a jet, just so you know. Um, I, I, I drive a, a Nissan Pathfinder. And so I bought gas, though, before I... And gas prices are down, so that's great. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, anyway, so Matthew 28, though, is this idea of what should I be doing in that? Sh- and then Acts 1.8. He reiterates it again. So uh, the Gospel of Luke was written by the disciple Luke, but Luke also wrote Acts And Luke is very detail-oriented, and so before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says it one more time what we ought to be doing. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we we are witnesses of what Jesus has done in our own lives, and now we're supposed to go tell people in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus walks through four different places. In our context, our Jerusalem would be like St. Louis Metro. You know There are 2.8 million people that live in the St. Louis Metro. Corey and I got in a fight about this this week. We fight about dumb stuff. But I said, dude, just Google it. I mean, we can know the answer here. Like this is this is on the internet. Anyways, and everything you read on Wikipedia is true. So, because um, I mean that's the most reliable thing. Because anybody can update it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's a Michael Scott joke. But seriously, there are two. Nearly three million people live in the St. Louis area. And less than 20% of those people go to church anywhere. Like, dude, there are lots of people out there that we could practice this come and sit with me thing. And of those 80% that don't go anywhere, 20% of them will say yes if you invite them. I mean, this is a crazy opportunity. So this is our Jerusalem. And then Judea would be like the region we live in. So you can think of the Judea like the Midwest. I mean, it even reaches into, like, horrible places like Illinois, you know? right. Right, you get it. Man, I could never live there. And some of you are from there, and I I say thank you. Like, yeah, I know you feel great being on this side of the river, but, man, it's really bad over there. We hit potholes in Chicago this week that I thought meteors had made. Like, I'm like, how did that even, how did this car survive this, right? But what I'm saying is is that we have a responsibility in our Jerusalem, in the St. Louis metro, Jesus says that. We also have a responsibility in the Midwest. That's why we try to plant churches all over the Midwest. We have a, a responsibility in our Samaria, which happens to be our nation, so that's why we're involved in church planting all over the nation. Your church gives to help new churches get started. And then also to the ends of the earth. So everywhere. And this proves that Jesus was not a flat earther. So if you're a flat earther person, anyways, I don't want to get too, like, I step on your feet. I don't want to get, don't, don't, if you have like negative emails about flat earth stuff, just send them to Corey. He'll, he replies for all those for me. But, but in all seriousness, Acts 1.8 is again, final marching orders to these disciples. This is literally the last thing he says before he ascends to heaven so what did they do? If you study the book of Acts, you know what they did? They actually stayed in Jerusalem. Like that's it, like they actually kind of ignored what Jesus had to say to do it. So some would say, church scholars would say, uh, church historians would say that the church in Jerusalem grew up to 70,000 people before they scattered. Before they ever planted churches in other places, it actually required persecution for them to scatter, but they eventually do scatter. And so um, I I just want to bring that up to help you see that like, we have a responsibility to go tell the world, and Jesus gives us the specifics on what the legacy should be, that we should go and be witnesses, that we should go and tell people about this goodness of God. We sing about it, right? Did we sing that song tonight, Chris? I've been in to too many church services today. We sang that at my church today, too. And, well, not my church, I don't like own it, but like we sang that at Grace River today. And all my life you've been faithful, all my life's been so, so good, right? And we sing stuff like that, but we're so unwilling to tell other people about the goodness of God. And that's the whole point. When something is so good to you, I have a difficult time not sharing it. You know, like when you watch a really good Netflix documentary and you're like, dude, you, it's the craziest thing ever. You got to see this, right? That's over a documentary that will make no difference in anybody else's life, you know? I watched the one about the Notre Dame guy that got catfished. That's the craziest one. Like, Corey told me about this week, and I was like, okay, I got to watch it. I watched it. I couldn't stop. I was like, wow, this is a disaster. But when you think about the good news of Jesus, I mean, you and I have been redeemed from our sins. The biggest problem we've ever faced, there was a solution to it. The solution was Jesus. And I'm not here to, like, Jesus juke you, okay? because I struggle with this too. Like, you may think this is really easy for me to share my faith, and it's, it's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me for a different reason, though, because everybody thinks that I'm just trying to sell them Jesus, right? Like, I've got some agenda that I just want you to come join my church, and I, I don't, I could care less what church somebody goes to. I just want them to believe and receive the goodness of God. So Acts 20, verse 24, Paul sums up what he wants his legacy to be, and I, I think this is really critical because he, he takes Matthew 28, he takes Acts one eight. And here's what he says here in Acts 20, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the, uh, finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What's he say here? My life is worth nothing to me. So anything outside of Jesus, it's nothing. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The good news about, about Jesus is, is it's not about achievement. I think the really difficult part for people that live in our area, the nearly three million people that make up St. Louis Metro, I keep bringing that up just to prove Corey wrong. The nearly three million people that that make this area up, many of them are are uh, are Catholic or post-Catholic. And I'm not here to pick on people that are Catholic or post-Catholic, but what I'm what I'm here to say is is that a lot of times people that are like really caught up in that tradition, they think that rel- that religion, or even following God, means achievement. I've got to do all of these things to be right with God. And what Paul is getting to here, because there was a day in Paul's life before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, that he also believed that religion could save you. But what, what he later finds out is it's not about religion, it's about the good news. The good news is not about achievement. When did you ever watch the news and achieve something watching the news? You just simply watch the news, and either you believe it and receive it, or you don't. Like, you're like, that's fake news, no way, right? Some of you are fake news, or you call it fake news, like, you're ah, that's, that's not real. But I watch Channel 5. I trust them. I don't know. They're on my side. You know, they even say it, right? That's their slogan, five on your side. I don't know. When I watch the other networks on accident, I'm like, who are these people? They live in my town. Is this news from Kansas City or St. Louis? What is this? You know, like I'm always confused about what's going on when I watch a different news channel. But I'm a five on your side guy. Anybody else interact with me? You're five on side, yeah. Most normal people are. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. I don't know. I get attached to them. It's it's weird. It's just like I feel like we spend five thirty together. It's great. I DVR it. Is that weird? I record the news. Because I want to know what's going on. Like I'm cultural context, you know, Corey doesn't care about people in St. Louis. I do. And so Um, I'm teasing. (laughs) News, though, is not achieved. You don't achieve the news. You don't hear about a fire downtown and go, yep, I started that. (laughs) Maybe you did. Maybe you did, you weirdo, right? But most of the time, when you you think about news, really all the time when you think about news, news is something that you believe and receive. So Paul's saying this, I want to spend the rest of my life telling people the good news about Jesus. That is not about what you achieve, it's about believing and receiving what's already been done for you, and that's the message of the gospel. That, my friends, is what our legacy should be. Paul says it here that, that if it's anything else, it's it's useless unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. So when your life is about Jesus, it doesn't matter what others think about you. This is where I'm at, man. Like, I I get way too caught up. I'd love to tell you that like uh, that I don't have an approval idol, but that would be a lie. Like, I... I, I wish I had more of it in me that I don't give a rip what people think about me, but I, I do. Like, and it, it, it absorbs me sometimes. It's probably one of the biggest idols of my life. But whenever I put it in perspective that the only one that matters is Jesus, it removes a ton of barriers in my life. It only matters what he thinks about you whenever he's all I need. And so Philippians 4.13 is a passage that's really misquoted by Paul. And Paul doesn't misquote it, but we as Christians today in America misquote this. Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is kind of the, I believe I can fly verse, right? Uh, and we think, man, I could, I could run through a brick wall if, if Jesus is on my side. And I, I'm going to tell you, don't try that, all right? Like it's, it's going to end up a problem for you. Paul's not talking about the fact that you could fly if you flap your arms hard enough, if you've got Jesus on your side. What he's talking about is contentment is possible if you're striving for the right things in Jesus's name. So that's really the crux of Philippians 4.13. And the reason we know that is context. He's writing Philippians 4.13 not from a Starbucks and not from a beach. He's writing Philippians 4.13 from a prison cell, guys. And he's still talking about legacy. He's still talking about the worth of his life here. And even though he's in a situation that's not ideal, he's still talking about what matters, what matters the most. So I wanna give you, uh, I wanna give you three things Three keys to a legacy that's going to last. So three quick things that will give you, like, just some some handles to hold on to tonight. I know I've been a little all over the place. So my words have been flying out of my mouth really fast. But my hope is, is that you could take away at least one of these application points. I think one of the three of them, if not all three of them, may hit you right where you're at tonight, okay? So three things uh, to live, leaving a lasting legacy. The first one is, is this. Would you choose to run your own race? Run your race. Now, it's interesting because in the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, our lives are compared to a race a lot. And I don't like that because I don't like running. I, I've taken up running. Two things happened to me during COVID. Uh, I started eating salad and I started running. Dumb. Both are just salad, not good to eat, not tasty. My, my food eats that. You know, that's the way that usually works for me. But I've been trying it. I don't even know how, I mean, it's like gateway drugs. I've been trying to figure it out. Like, uh, that's a bad reference. But anyways, like, um, I don't even use salad dressing yet. Like, that's how early on I am at it. Because I, I know I, people are really, like, taken back by that. But, like, I, I also don't eat salad at restaurants yet. Because, I, like, I don't know how it works. I don't know. Because there's actually good food at restaurants. I'm like, well, I don't want to waste this good meal. And so I do, like, spinach, chicken, and strawberries. That's my jam right now. That's what I do. Uh, and, and it's it's Okay. But to be truthful with you, I haven't had a salad in like nine months, you know? Uh, but, but it's something I was working on during COVID. That was new. Another thing I started working on during COVID was the gym was shut down, so I went on runs, which the Bible compares our life like this race, but what's super interesting in the Bible, in the New Testament times, 2,000 years ago, it was shameful for people to run. So I'm not sure why they use this metaphor, why Paul uses this metaphor so often, because it actually, and I kind of like that. Like, I wish it was shameful to run now. Like, I wish you'd see somebody run down the road, like, gosh, look at that, (laughs) why, you know? She paid for that race? (laughs) Like, it's sinful, that's what it should be. But anyways, um, and if you're a runner, I'm completely kidding. If you're not a runner, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, how how are you doing this, right? But Paul talks specifically about running, and even the, the author of Hebrews talks about this. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now listen to me, this is your race. I think that's, the the problem for a lot of us is this, is that we compare our dash to somebody else's dash. In between the birth date and the death date, we look at other people's life and we go, man, it looks like their life is so simple compared to my life. It looks like their little run of their life, their little marathon they're on. It seems like effortless, like it's unicorns jumping over rainbows every day. And here I am, I feel like I'm like Paul in prison. And what I want you to know is you're, you'll find contentment when you realize this. This is your race. And let go of the fact that you're not running somebody else's. Like This is the race that God has set before you so we're so busy and i think social media has increased this i think this has always been a problem in humanity cuz we've always looked at our neighbor and gone man i wish i had that car or that house right but now with the advent of social media it's like a hundred times worse cuz now we can see like what somebody that we went to high school has or somebody we went to college what they have or something whatever right or a coworker what they did on the weekend and we're like man i wish that was my life and we we kind of like live vicariously as a creeper kind of through them and it's like Oh, only me? Cool, just me. All right, awesome. Like I, I didn't—I'm not a creeper. But what I'm saying is, is I find that I'm discontent whenever I'm looking at other people's race because I feel like I'm behind. When I got into running, uh, several different groups of friends said we should jo- we should do like a running group, like a like a I don't know, like a team or something. I'm like, no, that sounds awful because if I run with you, I mean. The problem with my running style is, is I, I'm not graceful. Some of you, when you run, you look like a, a gazelle. Like, it's like art. I'm like, wow, look at the form. For me, it's like I'm in a Vietnam movie getting shot at running towards a helicopter. That's the way it looks whenever I'm running. Like, people have actually stopped and asked if I was okay, you know? Like, that's how bad my running is. It's horrible, right? About running shoes, but it didn't improve my form any at all. But the, my fear of joining a running group, though, is I will compare myself to how fast somebody else is. And I think in life sometimes that's what we do. We always feel like we're behind. Like you feel like maybe maybe you're behind financially, or maybe you're behind relationally, and you just kind of wish you were further along in the journey. But here's the problem is you're caught up in somebody else's race. And maybe tonight if you don't hear anything, it's just, man, would you decide I'm going to run the race that God has set before me? Sometimes we compare our extended family to somebody else's extended family, and we just wish that our family was more normal. And I'm telling you something, there's not a normal one out there, right? I remember the moment I realized this, because I, I idolized um, a friend of mine's family. Um, I thought his mom was the nicest lady. I thought his dad was the nicest guy. And, it, like, growing up, 16, 17, 18, 19, i go on family vacations, and I was, like, looking for, like, something. Like, there's no way they're this nice to each other, and I remember it. I'm 19, and we were in Pensacola, Florida on vacation with them, and I watched his mom snap. And I was like, there it was. They're not, they're not normal, right? Uh, and like, even in the whisper, I saw that she was a little bat crazy. And I was like, there it is, right there. And now that we're adults, my, my best friend tells me about his crazy mom. You know, I'm like, okay, cool, that's good to know. Because, is this recorded, by the way? Oh, okay, I'm not gonna get into my mom. I love my mom, all right? And so, uh, she's awesome. But what I'm saying is, is none of us And I mean, none of us have a normal family. There's not a one of us out there. I love my parents actually, but uh, I keep convincing myself uh, and convincing you. But like the other day they were in town, I'm just gonna do it. What's the odds of her Googling this? Anyways, the other day they're in town, they're passing through and they're on 44 and they call me. Hey, what are you up to? This is a classic for my family. What are you up to? "Uh, Nothing, it's just Saturday. And so, uh, you know, I got this big thing I do on Sundays and I was gonna grill some some chicken and some hamburgers tonight. Oh cool, we'll be over in 15 minutes. I'm like, awesome, and so they come over, and uh, oddly enough, my wife was in Springfield, where my parents are from, and uh, she wasn't going to see them, uh, but she just had like a bike to drop off for her niece that was starting college down there, and she was going to come straight back, um, And but then we were busted, because my parents were like, well, where's Sarah, and I'm like, uh, I could say she's working, but that's a lie, and so, I just had to tell them, well, she actually drove to Springfield today and she dropped off a bike. And so it was just a like, really awkward moment. Like, was she not going to say hi or what? <laughs> was she not going to do the drop-in? Anyways, I'm like George Costanza. My parents do the drop-in. Or maybe it was Jerry Seinfeld. Doesn't matter. What I'm saying is is this. We live vicariously through all these people and we wish that we were running their race. This is the race that God has set before you. So three keys. We're through the first one. Run your race. The second one is it's a relay race. It's, it's, it's a team sport in this way. Meaning this, you're not intended to run this race alone. There is this pass-off at some point where you pass off what you've learned about Jesus to the next generation. Look at this in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Here's Paul. He says, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Paul's training up Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, listen, I want you to take what I've taught you and pass it off to somebody else. And the same instructions is true of us today. Take what you've learned and pass it off to somebody else. Now, I can't name for you the last five people that won an Oscar, can you? In fact, Sarah and I have watched award shows, and I'm just like, I don't even watch these movies. Like, I, I don't know. It makes me feel really like out of touch culturally. Like most of them are foreign films that have subtitles, which is my worst nightmare, by the way, because now you're not watching a movie. You're watching a movie and reading a book at the same time. And I'm like, that's the whole point of watching a movie is not having to read, right? But here we are reading this. And I'm like, anyways, it's got to be like a really good World War II documentary for me to be interested in something like that. That that's a, reveals a dorky side of me. But five, five Oscar winners, I can't name them. Can you name uh, five of the last Nobel Peace Prize winners? I can't name, name one of them. I can't even name, I mean, I know Goldsmith is up for, like, uh, MVP this year, which is awesome. I mean, he's just been amazing this year. Um, I think he batted in, after last night, over 100 runs, and we got a ton of games left in the season, which is wild. Um, and so he's up for MVP, but I can't even name the last MVP of the MLB. Can you? I mean, maybe you can. We can do that later, right? I can't even name the last uh, NFL MVP. I'm a, big, I'm a big NFL guy. I know it wasn't Patrick Mahomes, so I could care less who it was, you know? Um, but I can do this. I can name five, five men that have made an impact in my life. Can you? Five men or women that made a clear impact on your life spiritually, can you name those? I mean, we could rattle off a bunch of these. There was a guy that was my second cousin. His name was Dale Highfill. When I was 16 years old, I took a job at a hardware store. Dale worked there. And I didn't even know Dale when I took this job. I just knew we had the same last name and I knew we were related somehow. Uh, But Dale was that kind of annoying Christian that would ask me for prayer requests. Chris, how can I pray for you? But guess what? Whenever I was, when I was 17 and at the end of my rope, guess who it was that I went to? Dale. Dale made an influence in my life. Dale's in heaven today, died of cancer 10 years ago. Before he died, I said, thank you. Like the legacy that you left in my life matters. Ray Forrester was the first one to ever buy me a Bible. It was a KJV Bible, but he bought me this KJV Defender Study Bible. He was like a hardcore Baptist. Like, he was like Baptor Baptist, you know what I'm saying? If you've got a Baptist background, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he's just really into it, you know? But like, with conviction, taught me great theology. Uh, with conviction, taught me really how to, how to be like a man of God. Mike Fortner, my, one of my best friend's dads. Mike convinced me to break up with a girl that I was dating when I was 16, that I didn't need to be dating, and I'm really glad he did because if I would have married that chick, my life would have been horrible. So, like Mike Fortner, I owe him, big time, legacy maker in my life. Um, Another legacy maker in my life was Carl Swanson, the one that invited me to church. Another one was uh, another best friend, Nathan Fortner, who taught me how to live for God. You know what all five of those guys have in common? None of them are pastors. None of them are professional Christians at what they do. They're just everyday, average, ordinary people that looked for "come and sit with me" opportunities in my life, and I'm so glad they did. <laughs> I've been here before and taught, and I, I I tell the story about growing up across from the big, growing up across the street from the biggest church in the town we lived in. And uh, that church never invited us to. We never got like a, and I'm not blaming them. You know, I never, we never got like a door hanger or a mailer in the mail, or you know, their, social media wasn't a thing. And my parents didn't go to church, so. It would have been weird for them just to kind of show up, I guess. They thought that churches were for country club people or whatever. And uh, But when I was 18, I got to go to a Christmas candlelight service at that church. My parents had moved away uh, further out of town, and I'm 18, and I remember just sitting in that service crying because I was so happy to be inside the church that I stared at as a kid, wondering what in the world goes on inside that building every single Sunday. I mean, I had no clue what they were doing in there. And I'm just glad that somebody said, come and sit with me. Nathan said, hey man, my church is doing a candlelight service, you should come and sit with me. I'm 18, and I finally was invited to the church that I grew up across the street from my entire life. And I just think, man, how many people are like that in our community? I'm so glad that those five people passed on something in my life. And I just wonder, like, who is it that we're passing up every single week that we could pass off our faith to? If you got kids, it starts with them. like we shouldn't ignore that. And I mean that's an important thing. but like beyond our kids, though, you got coworkers, extended family members, you got neighbors, we got all kinds of people. So here's a little homework for you with your relay race point, is make a list of five people you should be praying for in this fall season to meet know and follow Jesus and just consistently pray for them. Take a post-it note. I try to have a post-it note in my Bible all the time, a post-it note of five people that I'm praying for, five people that are spiritually disconnected that need to hear the truth about Jesus. And I don't have to be the one that tells them, but it's amazing when I start praying for those five people how things kinda come out of the woodwork on, on me getting opportunities to talk to them. This is the second thing here is it's a relay race. The third thing is, is, uh, is this, man, is finish your race. Like, when you're looking at your race, make sure that you finish. I know this, life is difficult, and sometimes you just wanna quit. Like, it gets so tough sometimes you're just like, man, I want to give up. Like, I'm not even interested in finishing this thing. And what I would tell you is, make a decision to say, I'm going to finish this race. Look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. Stay in this thing. Let's end this race with our running shoes on. And I mean that metaphorically. I don't mean that like like some of you aren't runners, and I get it. Me, me neither, I'm trying to get out of it. I ran two miles this past week, and I was like, why did I do that? That was not fun. But what if we took on this posture of saying, I'm not gonna quit. Like even when my circumstances get difficult, even when things aren't ideal, like I'm, I'm not quitting. There's a great story uh, of the 1960 Olympics in Mexico City. A guy named John Stephen Acare. It was the 1968 Olympics. He was a marathon runner from Tanzania, and he goes 5,000 miles from Tanzania to Mexico City. Obviously, he took a flight. He didn't, like, run. That's a different thing because there's an ocean in between. But he travels 5,000 miles to go from Tanzania to Mexico City to run this race, to run this marathon. He had trained all of his life for it, and he comes to this place where he gets a chance to run for his country. And because of the high altitude in Mexico City, and unfavorable conditions, he actually trips a couple miles into the race and falls. And he, he badly messes up his knee and his shoulder as a result of it. You can see he's, he's bandaged up here. He's hurt so bad that the first place runner finishes an hour and 15 minutes ahead of him. I mean, can you imagine? Like I mean, that, that just stinks to think that you've gone all this way and uh, you're, you're in the very last place. In fact, he's so far behind that they go ahead and award the gold, silver, and bronze medal before he even enters the stadium, like he's still running his marathon. He finally gets into the stadium, and now thousands and thousands of people have left. There's roughly around a thousand people left inside the stadium as he runs his race. And he's asked afterwards by an interviewer, um, "Did you ever think about stopping, whenever you know after you fell or?" You know, you saw everybody run ahead of you. Did you ever think about quitting? He said, no, quitting never crossed my mind. And when I asked why you wouldn't quit, he said, my country sent me 5,000 miles not to start a race, but to finish one. And here's the thing about Jesus. He wants you to finish this race. So when you take the words of the Apostle Paul to heart, that even though your circumstance isn't ideal, even though you want to quit, even though you want to throw in the towel, there are people cheering you on, and there's a God in heaven who is absolutely crazy about you that has a tremendous plan for your life. Would you make this decision to say, man, I'm gonna stick this out, because it's worth it. Even though this season is tough, even though you've tripped up, you feel beat up, you feel washed up, I'm telling you, it's worth it. So would you have the courage to go, I'm gonna keep running? even though I feel like I'm in last place, even though I feel like I'm crazy behind all my friends. Just run your race, not somebody else's. So I want to give you some some next steps here today, And, and I want to just kind of talk to you about, man, what could my next steps be? Maybe your next step tonight is that you just say, you know what, I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to. Maybe that's your next step, because I know this. He's not going to give you more to be disobedient with unless you're obedient to what he's already given you to do. Knowing God's will doesn't have to be some crazy, mysterious cloud that you're following. It's just simply this. Would you be obedient and faithful to what you know that God has already called you to do? And that looks like this. Maybe it looks like serving in the church. And as we enter into this fall season, there's new opportunities to serve here at Redemption. Maybe it's joining a group. Say, man, I'm gonna re-engage and, and join a small group this semester. Maybe it's you gotta forgive somebody and you just, you've held on to something. It's like, it's like created like, bitterness in your heart, and maybe maybe it's a time for you to to let that go. Or maybe it's time to apologize. You've held on to something, and you know you've wronged somebody, and it's like, man, you kind of feel ashamed about it, and you're hoping they just forget. But maybe it's time to apologize to your spouse. Maybe it's time to apologize to your kids, a co-worker, an old friend, I don't know what your next step is, but would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to give you a chance to pray just in your seats before we receive communion together. And I just wonder if you could pray and just just ask God for clarity and courage on your next step, to know what the next step is and to actually have the courage to take it. So I'm gonna do something that I feel a little uncomfortable with, which, which is just this. I'm gonna be silent for a moment. I'm gonna let you talk to God about what your next step is. And would you just pray right there in your seats and ask God for the courage and the strength to take that next step to run the race set before you and then i'm going to give you a, i'm going to give you a little bit of time and then i'm going to pray before we receive communion together so you pray right right in your seats